Uh, thank you for the words of these songs that we've, that we've sang. Thank you for that they're true. Um, like God, we're so aware. God, we, we choose to not to, to keep our heads in the sand. God, we are aware that our world is shaking. And, um, and so, God, as we continue to engage with your word, as we, as we long to align ourselves with your heart and your ways and your voice, God, we pray that you would let faith arise. You would let hope stir again. Father, that you would be, uh, that you would truly um, be Emmanuel with us today. You would be with us. Thank you, you are with us, God. We just pray that we would be so aware of it. Be so aware of it, God. We'd be able to, to, to get through all the things that, that, uh, that distract us, God, all the things that distract our minds, God, distract our attention, uh, take, distract our affection, God. We just pray that um, you'd be so close to us, God, for those of us in the room and for those of us watching on. We pray that you would uh, make us so conscious that you're with us, that you're for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Morning, everyone. Uh, good to worship together. Let me, uh, let's just go straight at this. Um, this honestly feels like one of those Sundays where having to strip away so much content so that we, uh, that we don't go on too long. Um, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 is the next beatitude that we're looking at. Uh, blessed, or blessed, which one is it? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. They will be called sons of God. This is for all of us this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. The, the guys have led us in worship. The world is, uh, the world is shaking. And, uh, and we come this morning to think of this idea of peace. I think uh, this is, <laughs> it's probably an under, underestimation, an understatement, I should say, an understatement to say, I think that we need peace in our lives and in our world more than, more than ever. Uh, maybe maybe, I, maybe I, can't, I don't have the authority to say more than ever, but I know in my lifetime, in my 36 years, I have never needed peace. I've never longed to see peace in my life and in the world and in those around me than we do right now. And we're not just talking about the virus. Like We're not just talking exclusively about the, the virus. We're talking as well about politics. We're talking about the political divisions that are just all over. Um, probably most prominent in the States, but it's happening everywhere. There's just like we just need peace in our, in our systems. We need peace. There's natural disasters, and we... we, we Sometimes the, the news is dominated by other stuff that we miss the fact that there's still natural disasters taking place. There's still lives that are being destroyed because of f fires and earthquakes and tornadoes and all that sort of thing. And not only that, but we're also living in, in an age of, uh, of, of another epidemic. We're seeing signs of the mental health epidemic that is around us. We need peace in our lives and in our world more than ever before. And so last week we talked about purity of heart. We talked about this divided heart. We talked about the need, the need for us 
as followers of Jesus, to reconcile our insides with our outsides. Reconcile what's taking place inside with what we are doing on the outside. And so when we think of peace, that we're following on a wee bit, I suppose, from last week, and we're saying it's hard. It is harder, I think. Maybe not impossible. Maybe, Maybe I can't say impossible, but I think it is really difficult to bring peace on the outside if there's not peace on the inside. It's we're longing, longing for the peace, the shalom that we're going to talk about. We're longing for his peace in our lives and, uh, and in our world. This, uh, this, the biblical idea of peace, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. But this idea of, of shalom, it's so much more than how our English has, presents this word peace. Like peace, it's so much, a shalom, shalom is so much more than, than a feel-good bumper sticker. Shalom, it's so much more than, it's not to be confused with quiet. For those of us that have kids, like sometimes we're, we are, would you give me 10 minutes, peace and quiet? Like this idea of shalom, this is so much more. It's not to be confused with just simply being quiet. See, we can reduce shalom to a personal internal well-being. You can reduce shalom to that, to a personal internal sense of well-being or even an, a lack of conflict. And I'm not saying that it's not those things, but it is so, so much more than those things. The simple definition of it, the simple definition of this Hebrew word shalom, this biblical concept is a state of wholeness a state of wholeness, a state of all things being made right. I know we've touched on this already when we talked about this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice. We're talking about this desire for a right relatedness, the way it was at the beginning. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're hungering for now, a right relationship with God, a right relationship with ourselves, with others, with the earth. And so that's what, that's what, we're, that's what we're after. That's what that's what this idea of shalom is. It's a state of wholeness where we're right relationship uh, between us and God, a right relationship between us and others, and even a right relationship with ourselves. Isaiah, I came across this verse this morning, Isaiah 26, verse 8. You will keep, you will keep those in perfect peace, those whose minds are set on you, those whose hearts are steadfast toward you. You'll keep those in perfect peace. And so we are, we're, we're getting an idea, a glimpse of the, the bigger picture of what shalom is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, I think it begins to give us a, a beautiful understanding of what shalom looks like. It gives us an aspirational view of shalom. When, when, we're, when Paul says that, that, he is, that the reconciliation of all things to God, all things being reconciled in Jesus unto God. The reconciliation of all things. And that's what shalom is. It's this complete well-being. It's, the comp- it's wholeness. It's physical. It's psychological. It's social. It's spiritual. It's this complete well-being. The message version says, that, the message version says this of Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are you. You are blessed when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. 
Instead of competing or fighting, you're blessed when you show people how to cooperate. I've been thinking about this over the weekend. I, I'm aware that this happens on a personal level. I'm aware that it happens uh, when we think of military, when we think of government responses. But whenever we are confronted with violence or we're confronted with conflict, our response, we want to hit back with more violence. We can want to hit back with more conflict. This happens personally or on every, on every level of society. I've been really challenged as well over the last few days by how much pleasure that I can get out of violence, how entertained I am by violence. We were, the first time we went into lockdown, uh, me and Caleb watched all of the Marvel movies. And, uh, and Caleb started watching them again. And as a, as a scene, and, a, and, a rem- and I just was conscious of the storyline of many of these movies, whether it's Marvel movies or Star Wars or even, even Looney Tunes, like even our old favorites, we, we take pleasure, we are entertained by violence. And so the good, the good versus bad that, that takes place, we, be, we end up becoming so uh, entertained by this. And I, I'm not wanting to be religious about this this morning, I'm not. I'm just, like, I'm just, I'm just letting you in on some of the, some of the reflections that I have, I have been making in my own life. Walter Wink is an incredible author, an incredible thinker, and he, said, he used this language, um, the, the myth, there's a myth of redemptive violence. Redemptive violence, we, we convince ourselves that violence saves, we convince ourselves that war brings peace. And, and I ask myself, really? Does it? We get sucked in, we get sucked into this idea of redemptive violence whenever we are confronted with conflict or violence. When the, when the good guys are confronted with conflict or violence, they, that, their response is to hit back with more violence. And somebody was listening to somebody talking about like we wouldn't be as entertained. We wouldn't pop, Marvel movies, Star Wars, all of that wouldn't be as popular if it didn't have that that storyline running through it. But I'm just aware of it. I suppose I'm aware of it in my own life and aware of it as I parent my children. I don't want us to become numb. I don't want us to become numb to violence. I don't want us to, to be to buy into this myth of redemptive violence, that violence saves, that war brings peace. Because, and I say all of this because I think the way of Jesus is one of non-violence. It's not, a, it's not controversial to say that. The way of Jesus is one of non-violence. It's the way of peace. And Jesus shows a different way of peace. He shows us a different kind of power. And it's this third way, and this is stuff that I've been thinking about for so long now, this 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 third way, and I think Jesus is always revealing to us there's another way. See, we are constantly being, and we've talked about this several times, we are constantly being forced down into an us versus them. We are constantly being uh, forced to, to label ourselves or to label others. We're constantly being pushed into an us versus them, into a this side versus that side. And I just think that Jesus presents to us a third way. Rather than us being forced into those, this, this polarization that is so prevalent in society, rather, rather than us having to be forced into one label or another, to this side or the other, to us versus them, I think Jesus walks a different path and asks us to follow. I think the way of the Beatitudes is Jesus walking this different path and asking us to follow him. 
And so what does his peace look like? What does this different path look like? Martin Luther King says that in the absence, uh, the peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. I also read this week that the peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of mutual flourishing. And that language, that, that just, the language just caught my attention. I was to consider that for a moment. Not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of mutual flourishing. Again, just reflecting on that idea, I couldn't help but think of Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, not verse 11. Verse 7 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Whenever Jeremiah says to the people that have been, that have been forced into exile, that have been forced into captivity, he says to them, seek the peace and the prosperity. Seek the shalom. Seek the shalom of the place to which I have carried you into exile. And as you pray for Babylon, as you pray for its, uh, its well-being, if it prospers, you too will prosper. I think that is a perfect description of what mutual flourishing looks like. What would that look like for us as a people, wherever we're, wherever we're coming from, wherever our community is? For me in Rich Hill, what would it look like for me to seek the shalom of the place to which he has called me to? That as I pray for Rich Hill, I become aware that there is this need, not just that there would be an absence of conflict, not that it just be, would be nice and quiet and easy, but actually that we would be seeking mutual flourishing because in its well-being, in Rich Hill's prosper, prospering, I too will prosper. In its shalom, I too will experience shalom. This idea of mutual flourishing, I think it's, it's worth us consider, continuing to consider that as, uh, in our conversations as we go from here. There are so many examples I, that we could talk about today. There's so many organizations and groups that we could look at when it comes to the idea of peacemaking. But there's one group that I, that I came across this week that I wanted to, to tell you about, and I would encourage you to go onto their website. They're an incredible, incredible organization. They're called the Telos Group, P-E-L-O-S Group. And it is, it's been formed by the most unlikely of alliances. It's the, the two co-founders, uh, a guy, I can't even remember their names, but a guy called Todd and a guy called Greg. And Todd was an evangelical Christian. He was chief of staff on George's, George Bush's administration uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, this guy, Greg, he's uh, born, in, born in America, but is of Palestinian Christian ancestry. Was a lawyer um, living in California. And these two guys came together. And what the group does, they form communities of peacemakers. And like the amount of places that they have been, the amount of uh, groups that they have brought to form communities of peacemakers across lines of difference and equip them to reconcile seemingly intractable conflicts at home and abroad. Those hard-to-control conflicts at home and abroad, these guys formed an organization that would bring together communities of peacemakers across lines of difference and equip them to reconcile seemingly hard to control conflicts at home and abroad. See, their, their vision, their vision is one of mutual flourishing. Most of their work, most of their work takes place in the Holy Land. 
And so this, their, their vision for mutual flourishing, their, their big dream is to envision a time beyond Israeli-Palestine conflict and to stand with both Israelis and Palestinians to sustain security, dignity, and freedom for all. And I think that they're living out what Jeremiah said in 29 verse 7. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the place that you've been called. Pray. Pray for your captors. Pray for, the, for, for Babylon. If it prospers, you too will prosper. Secure the dignity and freedom for all. Uh, this, the guy Todd, the founder, he, t- he tells this story. He's, he's written an essay. Um, well worth, again, well worth your time to read. But he tells the story of this, uh, tells many stories, but one of the stories that caught my attention was one of a Jewish-Israeli mother called Roby. Now, Roby's, uh, Roby's story was that her son David was killed by a Palestinian sniper while he was serving in the military. And whenever the, whenever the representatives of the military came to her door to break the news of her son's death, the first response, the first words out of her mouth were, you may not kill anyone in the name of my child. First words out of her mouth, you may not kill anyone in the name of my child. And this lady is, is, has joined a group. She's part of a group, though it's today is of more, more than over 600. 600 Israeli and Palestinian families who have chosen the difficult path of reconciliation. They've chosen the difficult path. Like, hear me saying that? This is not, this is not the, the easy option. It's a difficult path of reconciliation. When you, when you enter into the conflict that some of these people have, uh, have experienced, you'll realize the depths of uh, how difficult this path of reconciliation truly is. Part of the essay, um, this guy Todd, uh, who's become a, who this lady Ruby has become a dear friend to, um, she then picks up the story of a friend that she has made over the years as part of this group. His name is Bassam. And Bassam is a Palestinian Muslim. And his 10-year-old daughter was, was shot in the head with, by, with a rubber bullet by an Israeli soldier, by an Israeli policeman. And as she lay in her hospital a few days before she passed away, she was this little uh, Palestinian 10-year-old was surrounded not only by Palestinian neighbors, but also by Jewish families. So around her hospital bed and actually around the hospital stood Palestinian neighbors and Jewish families as this little girl lost her life and they stood with the dad, they stood with this guy Bassam. And now he's part of a, an organization that seeks to, uh, to quit with this dehumanizing language, this dehumanizing of the other. And, uh, and there's just so many stories like this that I've read this week, some in this group and some just in other stories that have picked up. You've entered into this world of what it is to be a peacemaker. There's so many stories, and it's a difficult path. This third way that Jesus invites us to follow him on it is a difficult path. And I assure you, I know this, we, we take the easier option of trying to keep the peace instead of making it. The easy option is to keep the peace instead of making the peace. And I think it's important to say that. Peacemaking is not peace-talking. It's not peace-loving. It's not Peace-keeping, peace-making costs us. 
Peacemaking is incredibly costly. I think we know that by now. The way of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, causes us to take up and up our cross and follow in him. It is costly. The way of peacemaking is costly. And I would encourage you that you wouldn't have to Google too far to type in Rwandan peacemaking, Lebanon, peacemaking in Lebanon, peacemaking in Syria, peacemaking in Israeli and Palestine. You'll see story after story of people who have counted the cost of being peacemakers. See, peacekeepers, they will stay behind walls. Peacekeepers will avoid. Peacekeepers will walk on eggshells. Peacekeepers will not interact with people who think differently than they do. But peacemakers must engage. You will see these stories in Rwanda. I am stunned by how, re- like, and we've been, we've visited Rwanda, it, like, it was 1994. That is not long ago. The conflict broke there, but people have engaged in this difficult, difficult path of making peace. Peacekeepers must engage in order to make peace. And I'm saying this, please don't hear this as being a, a, a statement of criticism. I'm not directing this criticism towards anybody. But as I, as I read these stories of people engaging in Israel and Palestinian conflict, those that are engaging in this in, in Rwanda and Lebanon and different parts of Europe, I, I, I come away and I'm like, God, where, where are those where are those people? Where are those lives that are committed to peace and reconciliation in the public square right here? And I'm not saying that there's none. Like, please don't hear me saying that, and please don't hear me saying it with any condemnation or criticism. But I'm like, there's, there, there just seems to be few. Tell me, like, if I'm wrong, come and tell me, contradict me, but there seems to be few that are committed to lives of peace and reconciliation in the public square. And as, I'm, and as I'm looking, as I'm considering that, I'm like, if only, if only there was a community of reconciled people who are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation in the world. If only. If only there was a community of reconciled people who were called to be ambassadors of reconciliation in this world. And if you are familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that... Sounds a wee bit like the church. Reconciled to himself. God has reconciled to us, us to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 18, 19. God has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Not counting men's and women's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It sounds like a church, or at least it sounds like what it's supposed to be. And so no time's away, but let me finish, let me finish with this. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. And hopefully, hopefully we've shared something that is, there's enough there for us to, to be challenged by, enough for us to sink our teeth into. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. And I'm, and I'm wrapping up with this, but you know sometimes one of the things that causes, that gives me the greatest sense of pride at times is whenever people say, well, 
if, as long as it's good, as long as it's good behaviour, like I see, I see you, I see you in Caleb, or I see you in Jada. Whenever Jada's really, really kind, people say, like, you're just like your daddy. Don't they? No, that's not true. But, but there is those moments where, like, whenever, uh, whenever say they see me and my children, something about that that, that causes me to, to celebrate good trait. And I, and I just so say that to, to make peace, to restore shalom, to bring the fractured pieces back to wholeness. That's what the that's something of what the peacemakers do. But I think the other side, the, the 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 second part of this beatitude is I think that God says, "These are my children. These are my sons and daughters because they are the ones who act most like me. They are my sons and daughters." because they are the ones who act most like me. And so I'm not saying that he does not love. It's not that he doesn't love us when we're not peacemakers, but when we act in this way, he recognizes his own character in us. And I think there's something about the heart of a father that, that celebrates and rejoices over that. When he sees his, when he sees his children acting as peacemakers, because when we do that, we're acting most like him. When we act like this, he recognizes his own character in us. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. So Father, thank you for, um, thank you for the words of Jesus. Thank you for the ways of Jesus. And we want to be a people. We want to commit our lives to be in a people who will follow you even when it's difficult along this path that you have called us to follow you on. And, um, and so God, we just continue to be challenged and we continue to look inward, continue to, to long that you would um, make us whole, longing that your peace would come on us, God, and we would uh, experience that wholeness, that only you bring. And God, as we experience that in our own lives, God, that it would impact uh, our relationships with those around us. It would impact the relationships to the, around the place that you have called us to. And God, as we seek the shalom of the place that you have called us to, I pray that, you would, uh, that our hearts would be turned toward those places and towards those people. And we would pray for them in such a way that we would seek their peace and their prosperity because in their peace and prosperity, we will find ours. And so God, I pray that you would teach us what it would look like to live the pursuing mutual flourishing. Longing to see even those that we don't agree with, even those that we can often be at odds with, God, what it would be like to live in such a way that we could see the best in one another that we could love one another in order to lead people towards wholeness, in order to lead people towards reconciliation, not counting their sins against them, but being these ambassadors of reconciliation to the world that you have entrusted to us. 
the message that you've entrusted to us and the way, the how, not just the what that you've entrusted to us, but the how that you've entrusted to us. And so, Jesus, we continue to look to you. You're the one that our attention and our affection is drawn toward. And um, so, God, you bless us today. Thank you for each person. Thank you for each family. God, I pray that they would know the peace, the shalom of the Lord in their homes and all around them today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Great to see you all. Uh, have a great week.